We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theater Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanov. As you may or may not know, and really you should know, the podcast airs on Saturdays at noon Eastern Time on my radio station, Musical Theater Radio. But without people like today's guests, you would be listening to dead air. You'd be listening to nothing. So our guest today is so important to our industry. Uh, today, we speak with the founder and owner of J Records and former owner and founder of the world famous Dress Circle. I'd like to welcome to the show, John Yap. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um I'm glad to be on your podcast. Well, thank you. I look forward to, to learning all about the company and the shows that you recorded. But the, I always start off every interview the same way. Give me your 30-second bio. Who is John in 30 seconds? Oh, dear. <laughs> well, I was, I, was, I was born in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, as a little boy, my mother took me to see all those wonderful MGM musicals. Uh, I fell in love with Kismet and Big the Moon. And, um, and, and then, of course, I fell in love with the musicals. And when I came to London to uh, further my studies, I just developed a love. Uh, I went to see uh, musicals um, um, and I never stopped looking back. Very cool. Well, that, that was like 26 seconds. Lots oh, of time. Four, you went four more seconds? Okay. And you went four I, more seconds. <laughs> and then I, start, and then, and then I started, I started a mail order business specializing in um, musical theater. Uh, and then I started a shop uh, originally called as Entertainment Records, but then changed to Dress Circle located in uh, Common Garden and Monmouth Street. Awesome. Perfect. And you kind of answered my next question, which is usually, were you always into musicals growing up or is that something you grew into? Well, obviously you, you did like listen to musicals. Um, did you always want to get involved in musicals and musical theater or did you want to, when you were younger, want to do something else with your life? Well, I do have a degree uh, in graphic designing and, um, and I, um, I could have been a very successful graphic designer uh, because uh, when I graduated, I, I was in, uh, employed by a, um, uh, a West End uh, uh, advertising agency. And for some strange unknown reasons, one of my first um, uh, brief was uh, to come up with a campaign for British Airways. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I was like there, you know, a month later, I was, I was asked to do this campaign. I, I, I did a very simple, um, a simple campaign called Windows of the World, uh, poster campaign, uh, where, uh, where I just had basically two panels that represented reflecting windows and had two iconic pictures of, um, of, of each city, uh, the British Irish flies, who you know, and all I said at the top is Windows of the World, at the bottom British Irish logo, and in London I would have Tower Bridge and Big Ben, really the Nero, I have the Sugarloaf Mountain and the, the, the Christ. And that British Airways accepted that immediately. And, and, um, and, and it went on an international campaign and, and it was wonderful for me to, to see these posters everywhere I went around the world, you know. Uh, but then the musical theater call. Um, I was at the same time um, selling my musical theater collection, which was quite extensive because I'm a compulsive collector. <laughs> um, and 
I was I knew that there was a collector's market uh, for those LPs, um, and I just did a mail order kind of service, and that took off. And I was I was actually charging collector's prices as well, sometimes as high as 200, 400, 500 pounds for for an LP, you know, at that time. And then I realized that uh, that um, my um, work right answering a few letters every evening after work at home was actually making me more money than I was earning as a graphic designer. <laughs> so in spite of that wonderful start, um, that shining star start as a graphic designer, I, I, I packed up, I packed my job in and, and they were shocked. They were surprised. I said, oh, John, you have such a wonderful opportunity here and blah, blah, blah. So look, I have to follow what my interest and my, yeah. my heart goes, you know. And so I um, I um, I packed it up and then and then concentrated on the on the on the mail order, which really took off. Uh, and then from there, I I started a shop. I opened a shop in Covent Garden uh, at, in the Drury Lane. Actually, the first shop was in Drury Lane. I took in a partner, and that shop being specializing only in film shows uh, recordings. Uh, I think it was like. At, um, probably the only one in, 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 in the world. But, um, and, so, um, and so that was hugely, enormously successful. And it took off. Uh, uh, and then when the actual Piazza, I don't even know what I mean about the Piazza Covent Garden, mm -hmm. the development, when, when, uh, when, 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 they, when that development opened, there were 49 units um, that inviting interesting businesses to go into that building. They, they, they just handled by the Greater London Council, government um, um, uh, uh, council. And we submitted thinking, oh, well, you know, there are hundreds of, of applications from all around England, the world, uh, uh, United Kingdom. And we got it. We, we, we were one of the 49 successful ones. So we went in there and, and of course, immediately our, our business took up even greater yeah. success. Yeah, and so we were there successfully running uh, and then when it's time for um, that shop to expand, I knew that the uniqueness of the shop was me and my partner being there because we spoke and discussed and talked to the customers about musicals and things like that. That was the reason for the huge success more than just having the stock. And I knew that we couldn't just start another <laughs> branch somewhere else. And so I decided to start a label. Um, and, and so hence TRJ Records was born. Very cool. Like that, that shop would have been so incredible to be able to go into and just to talk to people about their love of musicals and, and to discuss with, with yourself or your partner or anybody else in there, um, you know, the rare finds or the newest shows coming out. Um, like yeah. what kind, what kind of, did you have just... Um, British shows, or did you have shows from international around the world? Oh, we have shows from around the world. Um, in, in, in that, uh, we, we, we almost, at that time, you know, all the other record shops have no idea how to <laughs> cast albums and things like that. They, they have the, the, the current hit uh, uh, shows, yeah. uh, but they, they, they didn't know how to service the, the, the rest of the community, you know, who were into, it's a bit like opera. See, my love, my real love is opera. Uh, an opera recordings, you know, people, they, you, you, they, they start off with La Boheme, then they go to um, Red and Butterfly, then they, they, go, they go to maybe La uh, Rondine, you know, and then they go to La Fanchula, and then finally they go to La Vili. 
so this is how what happens with musicals as well. Mm -hmm. Start off with the sound of music, and then you 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 start investigating Rogers and Hammerstein, Rogers and, and Hart, and then you know. So so we we um, we um, uh, we we sold every 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 everything new and collective items. What, one, one thing, at the very beginning, our shop in Drury Lane, um, we actually had a little area where there's a table and, and some chairs, low chairs, where we serve wine and coffee and, and tidbits to our customers so that we can sit down there and discuss. And my customers started coming in and started talking to each other and, and, uh, and it, became, it became a social center as well for wow. music theater lovers. That's why it was so successful. What year was that? What what years were those? In the seventies. Wow! See, that would have been like you have all those. You have, nowadays you have those coffee shops. You know, you get you can go into a bookstore and they have their their coffee and their stuff like that. Nothing like that, I believe, probably existed. No, no, the only one. It wasn't just coffee and wine. It was that we had conversations. Yeah. You know, we could answer questions and um, and we knew what was coming out. We knew what was deleted. We knew what was being sold and and what was popular and what you know what was rare. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a, it's 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 unfortunate. We have nowadays access to everything digitally, but you know it loses that face-to-face interaction, that moment where you can discover something new by going physically into a shop. I love going to old record stores and flipping through the records and and seeing what's there, the the tactile sensation of of touching things. Absolutely. And also, well, for us, of course, the the great thing is that when someone comes in and we give them a a, a glass of wine and and, 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 and the friendliness, hospitality and and chattiness, they always end up buying several items anyway. (laughs) Nobody left our shop without spending money. (laughs) (laughs) Very smart, very smart business people. (laughs) So you said that shop, is that shop closed now? Uh, When did it close? Well, what happened was when I started the record label, Mm -hmm. uh, I found that it was a bit difficult for me to run the label and the shop. So I sold my share of the shop to my partner, ex-partner, and he changed it to Dress Circle Mm. because I retained as entertainment for the label. And, and and then he he ran he ran the shop for a little bit, and then he sold it on to you know someone else, and then they moved to Mama Street, you know. Okay, very cool. So let let's talk about J Records. Uh, well, how did how did the name come? First of all, well, my name is John Andrew Yap. There we go. <laughs> okay, that was easy enough. <laughs> and. And as there is a lovely bird called a jaybird, so um, mm-hmm. I had, I had a, a, a great friend of mine to come up with a logo of the jaybird, and he did that, that logo, you know? Well, wait, as a graphic designer, you had somebody else come up with your logo? <laughs> that must be difficult for somebody to come up with well, something was, and, and was, present it to you. <laughs> I was very busy negotiating recordings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's okay then, yes. <laughs> Well, it was in conjunction. I mean, I did, I did trim it down. I did. Yeah. Adjust. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So you, you started J Records. How did you um, get the, that? What was the first show that you got onto J Records? Well, the thing is that um, right from the very, very, very beginning, I knew that I didn't want to just start a label where I just recorded you know, cast albums and, and hit songs and just go for the hit albums and just whatever that came my way, I, I, I recorded. I was very, very, very conscientious of the fact that I needed to maintain a quality 
uh, and, uh, and, and have this label as a very unique, different label. So my very first um, uh, recording was a show called Nashville, New York. And, um, and uh, it was, um, it was a, a French musical review. Okay. Uh, now, if I told you that Nashville, New York was a review using the, the, the words of Ogden Nash, with the music of Kurt Vile and Vernon Duke. Now, Interesting. That's quite key, <laughs> you know? So uh, that was a very successful um, uh, artistically um, satisfying show uh, that ran in the, at the King's Theatre, which, um, which is an off-Broadway kind of uh, French uh, theatre, but it was a very notable um, uh, a venue because it, it had a lot of, uh, at that time, successful transfers to the West End some very important plays. I think Kennedy's Children was one of them um, that started there and became a big smash hit. Um, it's a very important play called Kennedy's Children. But anyway, that's my very first recording, um, Nashville, oh. New York. Very good. And, and the second one, uh, I, I maintained the quality, uh, it was another French musical review. Uh, uh, this time it's based on the poems and writings of ben, uh, 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 John Betjeman. Uh, our our poet laureate. Mm -hmm. If if you if 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 you are familiar with British um, po uh, po uh, po uh, poets and, and wonderful writers, John Betjeman was wonderful, and so his his poems were set to music by some West End um, um, artists and composer, and so we recorded that as mm -hmm. our second album, which was uh, instead of just doing the musical, the late the, the latest musical that came on, whatever. Yeah. No, I love discovering new stuff. And you just said two shows that I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I went through your cast recordings and, and your work on the website. And I'm like, a lot of those I do have. But then there's a bunch of them like, I don't know this one. Now, maybe it's because I'm in North America. I'm in Canada. Yeah. But yeah. also because you, you're, you aren't focusing just on the big popular ones, right? You, no, it looks no. like you, your love is for musical theater. Musical theater right. and perpetuation and appreciation of them, um, but of course, um, luck. I, I have to admit, I have I, I have been very very lucky. Yes. Luck struck on by, the, by, by my third one, uh, a fledgling new uh, independent label with no um, history, uh, uh, in comp in competition with majors at EMI. Yeah. I got my first West End West End cast album. Wow, you know, um, I couldn't believe my luck when 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 the composer David Hanneker, who wrote Half a Sixpence, yeah, um, uh, one of the major British composers. That's one of his shows, and I recorded the 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 cast album of that West End production, The Biograph Girl. Wow, yeah, very cool. Yeah, so, and it's luck and skill. You got to have a little bit of both just to, okay. to succeed. Yeah. Luck, luck. I, I mean, fine. I, I will accept the scale, but I, <laughs> I really believe that luck came in my way because, because it, was, it, it, sort of, it sort of happened in stages. After the Biograph Girl, uh, uh, I then, because of my love for, for, for musical, I, um, I, um, I, I saw a show called I and Albert, uh, okay. which was written by Charles Strauss and Lee Adams. Mm -hmm. Bye Bye Birdie and Annie and Applause and all those things. Uh, they played in London. 
they were going to do a cast recording, but because the show didn't really work, um, it, it folded. Um, and that cast album didn't, didn't happen. So when I was in a position where I, I, I could organize a cast album, in retrospect, I decided to get in touch with Charles Strauss mm -hmm. and, 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 and propose to him that I wanted to retrospectively re bring the original cast back to record with the original orchestrations. His score uh, for I and Albert, of course, he was thrilled and delighted and he gave me 100% uh, support and cooperation. Wow. And, um, and uh, we, were, we started to do that, that recording, but of course, we found that orchestrations that didn't, didn't, nobody knew where the orchestrations were. Oh, no. <laughs> and I wasn't going to do a new set of orchestrations. I was going to, I needed to, wanting to record the original orchestration. Yeah. So I, um, so I, I did a bit of uh, luck, you see, luck comes yeah. in. I, 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 did, I, asked, I did a bit of investigation and somebody said to me, oh, look, John, I think I know where the, those orchestrations were. Uh, apparently, uh, when I and Albert folded, they were put in uh, into uh, administration receivership. You know what I mean by that? Bankruptcy, mm -hmm. and so everything was seized and and um, and, and 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 locked away. Wow. If they weren't, if if they didn't go bankrupt, if it wasn't seized, those orchestrations would have been lost forever. Wow! Seized, locked away, and and nobody could touch it. You see, and. Um, and, and, and I found out where it was locked away. And, um, and then I found out who had the keys to, to those <laughs> locks. <laughs> uh, it was another West End producer, Richard Pilbrough. I think he was owed some money or something like that. Or he was involved with it. Yeah. So I got in touch with them. They were shocked. Why would you want to record this flop and everything else? I said, no, because I wanted to. So anyway, cut long story short. I got the keys. <laughs> went in and, and, and went in and, and, and saw all these props and everything's from I and Albert. Wow. And, and got myself, just got my score <laughs> out and, and we recorded I and Albert. Um, and I got Sven Bertel talk back from Sweden and, wow. and Holly James from the West End back. And so we did a recording and, and, uh, and that was great. We, sold, we did it as a limited edition uh, LP. Mm -hmm. I know, but it sold out completely uh, immediately. So, well, yeah. you know what? I, I just have to say this now from people like myself and others, uh, lovers of musical theater, we have to thank you for, for putting shows like that, um, you know, into press and creating cast recordings. Because if you hadn't have done that, that show would have been probably lost. Oh, it's lost. All time. And there's unfortunately and so many shows like that. Yeah. Nobody would have known where those orchestrations were. Mm -hmm. But of course, they're not, they are now in Charles Strauss's um, hands. Wow. <laughs> because when I, when, I, when, I, when I finished, uh, the, uh, the person who, who had the key didn't, want, didn't care. So I just gave them to Charles. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what else are you going to do with them, I guess, right? <laughs> and, we did, and we did another retrospective recording soon after that. Uh, well, a few reco recording after After I got another lucky break in the... Uh, 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 soon after that, I got uh, uh, another West End show, the next one, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, Pal Joey with, with Sean Phillips and Dennis Lawson. Oh, nice. Oh, that was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful release for us. Again, I was shocked that uh, the, the other companies were, the major companies were, were buying for that, but they gave it to me, you know. So it's, I think luck as well, but maybe my persuasion, mm -hmm. my power of persuasion, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> 
it's working so, on me. So you've, you're persuading me to, to buy all this stuff. So, you should. <laughs> and and uh, then I want to quickly talk about the next uh, retrospective that I brought the cast back. For sure. It's very important. And um, uh, it's another show called, it's, it's a flop. You know, it's not a hit show. If it was a hit show, it would have had a cast album done only. But it's a flop. Uh, but but, the, but the, 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 the genesis of that is that the composer is so important. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the film composer, John Williams. Oh, and this is his only stage musical, you see. And um, and and um, and when I got in touch with him, and I said, "I want to record your Thomas and the King," which was uh, based on Thomas and Thomas Beckett. Yes, he was he was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in this instance, because he was a Hollywood man, he had the orchestrations. Yes, so that was he collected all the orchestrations and, and took them back to Hollywood with him. You know, so. Uh, and, and it's very interesting because in Thomas and the King, there's one track which preceded, uh, what preceded, um, came before Jaws. Mm-hmm. And in, in one of those songs in Thomas and the King, you have the dun 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 <laughs> So he didn't waste his orchestrations. <laughs> he used it later on. <laughs> I, I actually have that CD. I have that uh, Thomas and the King, and I play some of the songs on the station. Well, l- listen to that. Dum, 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 yeah, dum. I don't remember that. I'm, it's been uh, a while. Since of course, it wasn't played at that speed. It was dum, 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 dum. That's why I didn't hear it. Just <laughs> <laughs> it down, you know? <laughs> so how, how do you choose, uh, and why do you choose the shows that you choose to, to record? Is there a criteria, or is it just a passion that you have for it? Passion and, and, and quality, uh, and, and also the, 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 the people involved, the writers. Mm-hmm. And whether that show, in my opinion, was uh, of any importance in the hierarchy, in the annals of the musical theatre. So it's a com- actually the commercial aspect of it is the last uh, 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 factor in my uh, in my uh, my thinking. Um, yeah. Of course, I would love every one of them to be um, to be uh, hugely successful commercially, but that's yeah. always the last consideration. Um, but again, luck, you see. Um, yeah. uh, and soon after that, um, by by by. Number eleven, I think it was. I think it's number eleven or number twelve release. Again, uh, we have a new television uh, channel starting, uh, channel four. Before then, we only had three three miserable channels: BBC One, BBC Two, and ITV. Yeah. Then there was a new both channels. We were also excited, you know, we are going to get all <laughs> channels starting, and one of the one of the 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 the, the, the the flagship production, which was the first program ad on the, on the inauguration of Channel 4, was their 12-part adaptation of the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of Nicholas Nickleby, The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. Yeah. And um, I had a phone call from uh, from the music person in Channel 4. He said, so look, we have this soundtrack of The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby, which is going to be aired for 12 weeks uh, uh, nationwide on this brand new channel. Yeah. Would you like to release it? The soundtrack album? <laughs> Would I like to release it? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, of course. And, uh, <laughs> and then I said, of course, you know, you help promote it. You have to put the line, original 
an original soundtrack available on TER Records at the end of each program. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, so I don't know how I got it. I got it. Luck, I think. Wow. Um, and, uh, and, and the 12 weeks, we sold tens of thousands of that soundtrack album. Wow. Congratulations on that. That's fantastic. And that gave me a lot more financing now to, for me to go big. big for day. sure. I understand that you've got at this, at this moment of the recording, you've got a new album, not a new album, but a new album for new you, release. a new <laughs> release of an old show. Um, tell us a little bit about that, because I'm really excited uh, when, when I learned about it. So tell us a little bit well, about well, it. Well, which one are you talking about? There are two. Uh, oh, I, I don't know. Tell us about whichever one. I know, I know, no, 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 no. There's only one major new release that, that I've driven the whole world crazy <laughs> for the last 24 years. Okay? Yes. This was a recording recorded 24 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and ever since then, every. I've been driving crazy by pe- people. I've been driving people crazy by not re- not not releasing it. Yeah. And, um, well, it wasn't because of anything. Because I was, I, I, I just didn't. I, I knew that I needed to concentrate and give it the best I could for this mm. release. And um, and I just at that time, all these years, even now, I'm so busy. And the only reason why it is now finally coming out at the end of this year, October, November, December, we haven't quite uh, uh, fixed the date. Yeah. Is, Strange enough, because of the lockdown. Yep. You see, the last six months, I had I was forced to stay at home and work on this. Re- on this <laughs> Otherwise, if there wasn't a lockdown, I would be off and doing all the things I was. Yeah. You know, and this recording would still be languishing, waiting for me to get to it. Well, anyway, finally, it's finished and it's exciting. It's absolutely thrilling and exciting. And I got it from the master's mouth. He loved it. He thought it's it's thrilling. It's exciting and, you know, and it's wonderful. So, and the recording is the first complete recording of Anyone Can Whistle. Wow. That's going to be incredible. Yeah. And, and, and you know what's so incredible is, again, it's timing. Um, I chose, not because of anything, just by, by coincidence, uh, to release it this year, 2020, uh, by Sondheim's 90th, which we are commemorating that release um, for his ninety years, but because it's complete, and and um, I've got Arthur Lawrence uh, playing the part of the narrator on the recording, I have uh, Julia McKenzie playing Cora, Maria Friedman playing uh, Faye, and John Barrowman playing um, Hapgood. But because it's complete, there are loads of um, musical in, uh, um, passages lyrics and dialogue and book of the original version, uh, the original Broadway version, which we recorded, not the, not the adapted and, and rewritten concert mm-hmm. version, which everybody's familiar with. Um, Anyone Can Whistle is actually a prophetic, political, contemporary political musical. Because you, I couldn't believe hearing the other words that were coming out of Cora. It's almost like, you know, the American president at the moment has studied the script and lyrics of uh, Anyone Can Be So and, and started using them. I mean, words like lock them up, you know, put them away in a cage, women and children first, you know, 
this sort of uh, amazing and and um, and uh, and so so this release and and, and even even a throwaway line like the theaters are dark um who in, in the wildest dream would think that that line would, would actually come to come to reality and not only reality mm -hmm. but the entire broadway theaters are dark the yeah. entire theaters in the world are dark <laughs> you know so mm -hmm. So it's so prophetic, and um, and uh, and uh, and there are loads of other instances which we will we will be uh, uh, we have a very I had a very interesting person to write the liner notes for this release, which is not basically not about oh Sondheim sixties musical and lovely songs and this and that. It's mm. actually he he did a very thorough uh, uh, comparison between uh, what this musical foretold and what is happening now. Uh, um, so basically, anyone can whistle 2020, which is our recording, is actually a, a, a very contemporary political musical that is very relevant to our time now, you know. I cannot but, wait for that release. That'll yeah, it's, 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 it's all the, it's all, it, because of all the additional bits that, that, that pe uh, people who love Animal Can Visible didn't quite get because it was never recorded before. Mm-hmm was never brought out before in any recordings because we recorded dialogue as well you see not all the dialogue but but a lot of dialogue and in the dialogue uh, you could see you could hear all this amazing prophetic political uh, um, um, issues that were being mentioned and brought up in a, a bankrupt town and and this and this and this leader Cora who, who who craves to be loved and and who wants to who wants to cheat and lie and get their votes and have fake music, uh, fake uh, miracle, fake religion and, and appealing to the religious aspect of people to grab them. You know, it's all there. In yeah. like, oh. <laughs> wow. So obviously you've, you've, you've listened to this, the, the, your version of this one. Now you've probably listened to the other versions. It's how much of a difference is there? Is there a huge difference or is it, is it subtle, the changes? Uh, obviously, I'm going to say that my cast is revelation. <laughs> you know, uh, the thing the thing is that uh, is that Angela Lansbury is a big, big Broadway star and mm. wonderful, and everybody loves her. But don't forget that Anyone Can Whistle was her very first Broadway musical. Yeah, she was young, you know. I mean, she I meant more the the show itself, not the the performers. The, did you so notice the difference? That's the difference as well. Like in in terms of in terms of uh, of the interpretation. Yeah. The, the has invested a lot of, a lot more character mm. to, uh, to Cora. And so did Maria Friedman, uh, you know, uh, but in terms of the show, the major difference is the political aspect okay. because I never really thought of, um, of um, anyone can be so being a contemporary political musical. Yeah. You <laughs> know, so, so, so we are campaigning, we are going to release it on, Anyone can be so from 1964 to 2020, and it's not a 1960s musical. It's not only a 60s musical. No. It is very much a current, contemporary, political, relevant um, uh, mu musical. It, it sounds like once this is released and people start listening to it, it this show might get more stagings. Absolutely, and, and... nothing would thrill me more yeah. than to have someone like the National Theatre or the Lincoln Center to put on not the concert version, which is basically just the songs and, you know, but original Broadway three act version and bring out 
the 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 the, the real real sort of core of that of of what that musical is about. It's about you know it's about uh, it's about optimism uh, about the belief. Faith faith could easily be AOC, you know. Yeah. Compared to contemporary, because she has she's idealistic. She believes in you know in, in wanting to do good and and being proper and and this and that. See, she 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 isn't just someone that you think anyone can whistle. You know. <laughs> <laughs> she's saying she's saying she sings now. You know uh, her that, uh, that 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 list of list of this contentment and uh, and corruption that she reels off. Wow, you're gonna have people lining up to to listen to this. Uh, I hope so. No I hope guy. so. Of course, the other big, the other big revelation too, and which our poster, our poster will, um, uh, well, our our cover will surprise um, quite a lot of people and puzzle quite a lot of people, hmm. because um, because it featured features something that nobody thought of, uh, because most people think about the design of anyone can be so the uh, the cookies and cookie uh, cookie crumbles and cookies and yeah. But but we, we we had an image of a um, of a, uh, a girl in a pink gloves, you know, sort of sort of like that, and huh. wearing the Eiffel Tower. Um, so she is the lady from Lords. There's a song. There's a song in there called the Lady, yeah. which was never recorded on the original Broadway cast, and which uh, which um, which I think was only touched on, but without the French accent. Um, on the, in the concert cast, nice. and then and then and then she sings this major song called "Come Play with Me." Mm-hmm. Well, both the original Broadway cast and the concert cast, they never did it in obvious French accent. It, in fact, uh, Lee Remick did it very straight with no with very hardly an accent, and Bernadette Peters did it. Bernadette Peters, mm-hmm. basically, when Maria Freeman did it, uh, and Sondheim caught did come very kindly came into the studios to coach Maria Friedman in her songs. And when Maria Friedman did it, um, um, she put on this chord accent because they were, ha- they were ha- she was having, having playing with Hapgood. Hapgood, they were playing together to come play with me. And so all this French word were pronounced with heavy French chord, French accent. And suddenly that song, you understand why the poster has this lady from Lords. Yes. And not the cookies, cookies because because in Act Two and a lot of Act Three, the lady from Lords is always there because she's she's in disguise. Faye goes into disguise as the lady from the from Lord, the French lady. Yeah, see, which is not which which unless you've seen the original or read the script, you are not aware that that character, Faye, disguised as a French lady. is is important. It, basically, you're bringing a, almost a new show. <laughs> to the, well, to the hope, musical theater world. I hope, I hope it excites some. I hope it excites some. Some some forward-looking hotshot director yeah. and champion this as a contemporary musical rather than a '60s musical. You know, very cool, very cool. So yeah. I'm on your website and I'm looking at this other thing. This this digi mix of Salad Days. So tell us a little bit about what that exactly is, because it says a 2020 remix of a 1954 original. Sounds intriguing. Well, well, over the years, over the years, I've been known to, um, I've been known to, uh, to the general public. I've always been very frustrated when I listen to uh, old 
two-track recordings and, and all mono recordings, especially two-track recordings, not so much mono, that there was, some of them were so crudely mixed and badly mixed and badly presented. Uh, and and, and the, the levels were all over the place. And, you know, so I've been pressurizing my one uh, uh, engineer, who uh, I have two engineers I work with regularly all these years. I, I got her to just find me a way to make that work, to mix a two-track master. Yeah. Mix, not to just, you know, remaster, but mix it to, to, to actually, when the voice is too soft, to make, to make sure that, to make, bring the voice up to, um, you know, because in, in this old recordings, you have suddenly a voice so loud and then suddenly goes and disappears and then it comes back and, it, you know. Um, so she said, oh, no, it can't be done, it can't be done. I said, look, you've got to do it. How about this? How about that? How about... So I suggest, and we, we finally found a way where we can digitally, because of the digital medium, digitally remix two track masters. And so I've done, uh, so, so I, I coined it DJ mix because it's digital mix. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not mastered. It's not just a question of just putting it through the digital, you know, it's, it's actually mixing it, mixing a two track, which most engineers and producers say is impossible, but it's not, <laughs> we, we made it work. So I started first of all with my, um, without recording of a little lap music, my own personal record, my J recording. Mm -hmm. Now that was always been very unsatisfying for me because we recorded it directly two track Dolby surround digital. Okay. So there is no multi-track master uh, uh, in existence. Mm -hmm. We recorded directly in the two track Dolby digital uh, surround. And because of the surround sound, uh, the, 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 the volumes and the dynamics were very variable. Mm -hmm. Worked on its surround system because you put it loud and suddenly the sound was coming all over the place. Um, but um, but um, as a two-track experience, I was never been very happy with it. So when, the, when, 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 when we found that we could sort of do Digimix, I started mixing using that anyone can uh, listen to music as, as a, a guinea pig. And, and to my surprise and shock that, that I managed to mix that and made it, <laughs> made it consistent to sound really beautifully now. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so I said, oh, good, DJ Mix works. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and then I released, uh, and then I know that I released um, uh, the London Cars recording of Cinderella. It's a public, when I released it, it wasn't a public domain, but it is the public domain now. Mm -hmm. uh, we released the old, the, for the first time, the recording in stereo, uh, because it was recorded in the early days of stereo. And, um, and um, because the, the mix was so variable and so crude, uh, because of us experimenting stereo as well, that I thought, okay, I'll did you make that? And because it's a public domain now, I can just do it and release it without having to, to answer to anybody. Uh, one of the main fault with that recording is that because it starred Tommy Still, Still, Tommy Still, yes, of Harper Sixpence, who was a big pop star then. So all his songs and all his tracks, he was played so forward, like he, he was suddenly like a head so close and loud. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, whenever he sings, his voice is like, like in your face. Uh, and then everybody else, that was, I found it unlistenable. So I used my DJ mix to receive him, to mix him into the, 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 the recording, you know, and, um, and it worked. Very cool. So, and so, people can go to your website and, and listen to this. 
minutes. Uh, well, not so much. The, I think the website has 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 examples, but we have the Facebook. Um, oh. Okay. Jay across Facebook. Uh, all, all, all these examples and explain what DJ mixes and everything are actually. If if someone goes to J Records Facebook and likes it, mm-hmm. they can access and they can see listen to all this because we, every time we periodically post songs and recordings and news. Um, so anyway, coming back to very quickly to this, and then and then when we, when I did uh, Free as Air, which is a which is a new recording of a Julian Slade musical, uh, because it was revived in um, in in uh, six years ago in London, I have a new recording. And then I thought, okay, why didn't I take the original London cast of a free as ad, <laughs> which is in public domain, which we recorded in the 50s, because it was also very badly and crudely mixed. Mm-hmm. Did you mix that and release it as a two-CD uh, package, special price two-CD package? That, when, that, that was so successful. That was so popular. We saw a lot of that. And, and a lot of people are now looking for it and say, oh, what's the next one? So I said, okay, fine. I'll follow it with the Salad Days because we had, a, had our own recording, a modern recording of Salad Days. And I, think I took the uh, original London cast again, which was done in the 50s. And DJ mixed that. And now we've just released the Salad Days uh, as a combo in a very special price. And at the moment, I'm working on the third one, which is The Boyfriend. <laughs> it never ends. Never ends. <laughs> there's, there's literally thousands of shows that you could just go yeah. through and and totally. Oh, I go through. I, I think I think I worked out. I could do about twenty five DJ mix two <laughs> packs because we have about twenty five modern recordings that I can take twenty five uh, public domain old recordings and mix. After after boyfriend, I'm going to do Velma. It, you're going to be busy and I'm going to be busy listening to all of this stuff. <laughs> but, 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 but do, do anyone listening who wants to go and find out what, what, what our recordings are and what, what news, what, just go into Facebook, like a, a J Records a Facebook page and you'll be linked. And then, and then when, we, when we post everything, uh, we, are, we have successfully done, during the lockdown, we decided to do campaigns of... Um, of um, to to to, we know that we're going to be impacted our our sales, but in fact it's been better than ever our, our physical sales since lockdown. But we thought mm-hmm. we were going to suffer, so we did campaigns of of discounted uh, of um, of a discounts and things like that. So uh, the last one we did was um, um, Sonic Theater, um, which. Uh, which we have seven, we have seventy complete recordings of the score and the and the entire play of musicals. So we were encouraging people to because they have nothing, no theater to go to, not, can't go out to you know we listen to some of the to Pacific Overtures, for example, the complete show, not just the songs, but the yeah. com- all the dialogue. Basically, is that you're you're sitting in the theater listening to this entire play of Pacific Overtures before you. So we did that, and then and then and then every week we have two examples of a song from from these recordings, and they've been very successful. People love it because they get to hear a song from from Bittersweet and a song from The King and I and a song from My Sex Story, from Pacific Overtures. Yeah, <laughs> two songs a week. We are about to start on our next campaign, which is the Off Broadway, a festival of Off Broadway. We have about fifty Off Broadway recordings, uh, CDs to. To, to be made on offer. I think it's either 20, 25% discount, you know, or, or 30% discount. We, we haven't decided yet. 
Okay, my credit card hates this already. <laughs> and if and, and and then and then you'll be able to listen to all the uh, twice a week different different recordings. Uh, yeah. And of course they are kept. So when they when when if they want to go back and listen to what was passed, they can. But they have to like J Records to be able to do that. And how could they not want to like <laughs> that, that, well, that Facebook so. page? Yeah. So. yeah, just just looking at all the cast recordings, there's so many incredible. Like the first one is three guys naked from the waist down. That's I I love that show. I play that. A man of no importance, baby. Like there's so many shows on here that are well known and rare and and. I play at least half of them, I think, which is fantastic. <laughs> I don't say. Great shows. Um, so yeah, if, if anybody wants to, you know, check out musicals that they might not know, they should definitely go to jrecords.com. Yeah. All okay. musicals that they know. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because, yeah. Like you yeah. said, Pal Joey or, or um, Peter oh, King, and I, King and I, South Pacific, Guys and Dolls, West Side Story. It's yeah. on that. <laughs> you have a little bit of everything on the website. Oh, they have the whole spectrum, and of course, we we we, we go back to operators, the student prince, and mm-hmm. and that. And even before that, in the British canon, we have the Gilbert and Sullivan operas, Love and Mary Widow, and Office in the Underworld, and we have classical uh, operas and a few operas, and and a lot of a lot of uh, Broadway West End artists solo albums. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah. Incredible. I, I, I love just going through that those cast recordings go need it, need it, got it, need it. <laughs> well the thing is but the thing is uh, is uh, is something which very few people realize is we we were and we still are the only British record company that crossed the Atlantic from London to New York and recorded Broadway cast and off Broadway cast albums. Mm-hmm. Usually it's the other way around. Usually it's the American labels like American RCA, American CBS. They come to London and record. Mm-hmm. We went the other way, and uh, and again luck has luck. Luck played its part because yeah. in 1983 I um, I was doing some projects with the Rogers and Hammerstein um, um, uh, organization, um, and uh, I was I went to New York. And my friend, who was the who still is the managing director of Rogers and Hammerstein, Pat Chapin. When I arrived in New York, I, I, had, I had like a week or whatever in New York, and uh, and of course there were loads of other lots of big shows to uh, to see. Mm-hmm. So I scheduled to see all the shows, and there was one show that was running, uh, on your toes. Yeah, uh, uh, the 1983 uh, revival. But because uh, I think it was Frank Rich, I think who, who gave it a very bad negative review, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I read and I didn't think so. I, did, I, I didn't I didn't even consider going to see On Your Toes. I was going to see all the other current Broadway hits. Yeah. But it was in New York. New York. Then Ted um, asked me, "Are you going to see On Your Toes?" I said, "No." He said, "Well, you must. I organized a couple of comps for you to see tomorrow night." Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, uh, so I said, "Okay, fine." <laughs> so I went to see on your toes, and I absolutely fell in love with it. <laughs> listening to those wonderful original orchestrations um, by Hans Bialik, and that fresh, wonderful production, and then Lara Tita and Natalia Makara dancing, yeah. Christian on Christine Andrea. It was. It just bowled me over. I just fell in love with it. Next morning, I rang and I said, "Is anyone doing a cast album? Why isn't the cast album on?" <laughs> I, I, I think done. So well, no one was going. No one was interested. Yeah, I said, 
And I said, I'll do it. Without realizing how, gonna, how, how am I going to raise two, three hundred thousand dollars to do that recording. <laughs> so, uh, but I said, I'll do it. And then, and then okay, I went to the office, we did it. And then we worked out, we worked out a template, which I believe was been, it's been used now and, and before this by the major, by the Broadway producers, where we co-financed. You know, where I, I, I took care of a certain part, the Kennedy Center took care of a certain part, the Broadway producer took care of a certain part, and I think the publisher took care of a certain part. That's how we managed to raise the money to record on your toes. Yeah. And, um, and the, the big difference is that I own the masters. Mm, that now, is now the, master, the, the producers own the masters. They pay for it, but they own the masters. And and then because of On Your Toes was so successfully, the album came out and I did a... One of the reasons why people don't know that I, I own On Your Toes and I did On Your Toes was that I recognized that my tiny little independent label in England couldn't handle the American distribution of it. So <laughs> I licensed On Your Toes to Polydor Records uh, for a major label and they put it out. They sold hundreds of thousands of units of that. And because of that, I got a phone call from Tommy Orlando, who was the publisher of Camden Ab and Sondheim and David Shah and, you know, and Mokby and Shah, one of the major publishers. Yeah. He called me and he says, hey, John, you want to come over and record uh, The Rink? Oh, The Rink? Wow. <laughs> I said, why? He said, oh, I said, surely there must be a major company. Liza Minnelli, Cheetah Rivera, Camden Ab. Yeah, but nobody can seem to be able to get that deal going. <laughs> so, so I said, okay. So, <laughs> and I could understand only a determined independent label could have recorded the ring. There were, of course, BMG was desperate to do it. And I think CBS was desperate to do it, Sony. But they couldn't do it because of all the complications they were involved, which is something, another story. Yeah. But I could plead the fact that I have no money. I'm an independent label. Yeah. I can only afford so much. <laughs> well, you know what? You, what you've done is incredible. And you, you say it's a luck. I say it's, there's three aspects. You got luck, you've got skill, but you bring passion. And that's that third thing that makes a huge difference. I think um, so. I think it, so. I mean, my recording, I, mean, I, spent, I, spent, I spent, believe it or not, 800,000 pounds, about a million dollars, recording the three complete, three CD set of The Most Happy Fella. Okay? <laughs> wow. That's how much it costs. Do you, do, 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 do you think that I thought that I, I would make money out of that? No, I haven't even recorded a, a fraction of it, you know. Yeah. And anyway, can visit cost me four hundred thousand pounds, which is like six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to recoup on that. But I'm thrilled. I'm so happy that it's finally coming out. You know, I'm, we have mm -hmm. seventy complete recordings. Um, you know? And you might well ask, where did I get the money from? Luck has it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got. <laughs> I got involved with a major project that involves me licensing 75 recordings of my, from my catalog to a major project that yeah. me millions. Mm, nice. And instead of keeping the money, I use the money to, to reinvest the money into making this, all these complete recordings. 
and 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 I like I said before, thank you, thank you for doing oh, uh, all of that, um, John. It's been it's been fantastic to talk to you and learn all about uh, the, your your company. Uh, people should go to jrecords.com, go to the Facebook J Records, like it so they can listen to all this music. Um, you've you've done an incredible thing preserving uh, musical theater uh, cast recordings for future generations. It's been and incredible. preserving to the best condition and best ability. <laughs> I never, so I, 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 may, I, may, I, may, I make economize on the budget, but I never stinge on quality. If it needs to be re-recorded, I will spend the money to re-record it. You know, if a session needs to be and done. You can, and you can tell by the, the recordings and, and what you've done. Um, before we go, I always ask my guests three questions. Now, there's no right or wrong answer, but there is one wrong answer, just to let you know. Okay. All right. So question number one, who is your favorite creator or team when it comes to music, lyrics, or book? Well, I'm glad, I, I have no qualms answering that because the, the one work that I think is like a, a, a work of genius, mm-hmm. every bar, every note, every word is my sex story. Okay, and so yeah. Leonard Bernstein, Stephen Sondheim, and Arthur Lawrence, I have no qualms in, in naming all three of them. <laughs> that is an incredible team. <laughs> so, I, I will give you a point for that. That is correct answer. <laughs> so, Good. <laughs> question number two. Now, as a graphic designer, what are some of your favorite LP or record or CD covers that you just went, These, this is incredible? So what are some of your favorite throughout time? Okay, uh, I have a favorite, but he's not he's not a, a theater a designer, but a film designer. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's the film uh, poster designer and advertising illustrator called Bob Peake. Okay. Do you know him? Know of him? Yeah. If I mention My Fair Lady, the film. Then we do know it, yes. And Camelot, you know. Oh. That's Bob P. Have a look. Have a check into Bob Peak. B O B P E A K. Okay. And, and you will be thrilled, and you'll be surprised. Oh my God, he did so many, uh, so many musical films. Uh, West Side Story, the film. The, not, 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 not the 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 the, the West Side Story lettering, but he did a poster where where there's illustration drawings of them running, in and out, and and. Yeah. So Bob, Bob Peak. I hope okay. that's a good answer. That's another point. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> but David, right. but I think if you want to show, if you want to show, um, if you want to show uh, uh, a designer, David Bird, by or how do you pronounce this word? We did. We did for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Follies is very good. All right. Third question: Audience members eating food in the theater? Yes or no? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I like that one. <laughs> I, I, and I tell you, what, I almost thank God. I, thank God I didn't get sued. <laughs> it was in England because I had this girl sitting next to me. Yeah. And she kept munching, and and I just in the end I just hit the thing put out of her hand. I said, "Do you really have to eat this?" <laughs> I just I just hit her and hit this and put off her hand. I said, "Do you have to really eat this?" And she looked at me, <laughs> shocked. <laughs> If I did that in America, I would have been sued. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to recommend people do that, but that is the correct answer. (laughs) 
Those are three perfect answers, John. Thank you so much for indulging me on this. Real pleasure talking to you. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to uh, listen to Anyone Can Whistle and the Digimix and, and all that fun stuff that you do bring okay. forth with your company. And check into website, the J website, the J Records, www.jrecords.com. I'll be doing that for sure. Which you have on the screen, I know. But, um, but oh, don't worry, I will promote it. Don't worry. <laughs> It'll happen. I'm going to get everybody to listen. Thank you. And thank you for, 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 for you know, talking to me. And I, it's been a pleasure. No problem, John. All right. So we were just speaking with John Yap from uh, J Records. Um, tune in next week when we'll be speaking with another guest or guests about their life, love, and passion. That is musical theater. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. And until next time, my friends, I'll see you when I see you. We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community.